Hello, and welcome to Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work To Be Well. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss climate anxiety, what it means, and how it's affecting young people. Joining me for this episode are a couple of members from Work To Be Well's National Student Advisory Council who are especially passionate about the environment. Now, as a reminder, the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Okay, I want to get us started by having you each introduce yourself, where you're from, and why does this topic matter to you? Sydney, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, definitely. Um, so hi, I'm Sydney. I'm from Washington State, uh, just north of Seattle. Uh, and this topic is so important to me just because the environment and nature just means a lot to me personally. And I'm very, very connected to it. And also, I think that the climate crisis is one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem that uh, the world is facing right now. Wow. Go ahead. Hello, everyone. My name is Mohammed Shadid. I'm a senior in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And this topic matters to me because, as Cindy mentioned, uh, global warming, climate change is probably humanity's biggest threat. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like we are taking it very seriously, especially on the political stage, which is unfortunate for our generation as youth to see politicians um, argue, have meaningless conversations and not accomplish very much around this surrounding this topic. So getting us started in here, I know a lot of us know what climate change is, but what is climate anxiety and why is it such an issue for your generation? I think you can boil it down to two separate um, ideas. One, overall, just climate anxiety, the fear of climate change, the fear of the future, um, what's going to happen. There's been research. um, There's been movies depicting climate change. Even though it's an extreme manner, it has some depictions of reality which can occur if nothing is to combat it. And then the other side of climate anxiety is can arise when discussing climate change. Um, you get arise, um, anxiety from that, especially if the people you're having a conversation with um, attack your beliefs, your ideas surrounding climate change as well. Yeah, I think I think that Mohammed made super, super great points there. I think it's also a particular stressor for our generation because we've been told since we were like little children that this is our problem to solve and we don't see it getting any better. We just see it getting worse. And to be told that over and over and over again since we were children uh, puts a lot of responsibility um, and just fear, I think, in the youth. So how do you not overwhelm yourself when you're talking about climate change? I think with any form of advocacy. Sorry, you can go. I think with any form of advocacy, there needs to be a balance between advocating for it, understanding it. Um, Like advocates for mental health, we need to have a balance when talking about mental health, advocating for it, but also taking time for ourselves um, and backing up from solutions and response responsibilities when conflicts or anxieties arise. 
Yeah, and I think a really big thing that's helped me with not being overwhelmed in the conversation around climate anxiety is just realizing how much work is being done in this field, especially by professionals and scientists. Um, like I know for myself, I think about the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the biggest piece of climate legislation in US history and how that we are making positive change, even if it seems very, very little. And like Mohammed said, just also taking care of yourself. So what what can you control and how do you contribute to this issue? I mean, is this, what's the way to engage with climate change? I think learning as much as you can about it in the first place, getting idea, getting your own idea of climate change before conforming to others, whether that be your parents, politicians, um, media outlets, trying to get your own sense of what climate change is and what you know about it um, is definitely pertinent. And then looking at resources and possible solutions, as Sydney mentioned, um, people have said that this is our generation's problem to solve. So just beginning to understand uh, the nature around it, the framework of solving a grand problem such as this can um, do great things. Yeah, so I would definitely say education is the first step always. Just read and read and read some more. Um, we're going to get into resources later so I can mention stuff there. Um, but yeah, I think education is definitely the first step in knowing just what is going on, um, how people are trying to help this issue, how what ways you can go about to help this issue. Um, another big way I think is protests, uh, signing petitions, just getting uh, involved politically because um, laws can have such a big impact in this space. Um, and then also doing what you can to lower your impact. Everybody has a very small impact on the environment, but they add up extremely quickly. And so if you can do just those small things, use less water, don't drive your car if you don't have to. Just those little things add up over a multitude of people. You know, I think it would be really helpful to maybe list out some of those little things because people, people don't think about this. And I know in my own household, I look at my kids, I'm like, turn off the lights, turn off the lights, turn off the lights. And they're like, mom, it's an LED bulb. It doesn't really matter that much. But the reality is a lot of these things really do matter. So what are some of the things that people could do, just little changes they could make every day? Anything come to mind? Um, I can take this one first. Uh, the biggest one is stop eating red meat, <laughs> if you can. Uh, the beef industry contributes so much carbon dioxide, methane, fertilizers, which pollute our water systems, etc. Um, so if you could stop eating red meat, that would be great. If you can go vegan, even better. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, also, just lowering your water consumption, especially if you are in areas like the southwest United States, where water resources are limited. Um, and like Dr. Robin said, uh, limiting electricity, so turning off lights when you're not using them, all that kind of stuff. I know the biggest thing in my household when I was um, younger was don't leave the water on when brushing your teeth. Um, always make sure you turn it off because I, I did a project at school and made me realize how much water you actually do waste on a day-to-day -day output if you do uh, careless things like that like uh, spending extra time in the shower when you don't need to, leaving the water running um, while brushing your teeth. And it showed it was like 10 to 15 gallons per day um, for those extra times. And that was like a shocking statistic, especially recognizing how people around the world are less fortunate to have access to, in our case, unlimited water supply. 
Yeah, those are really great examples and and really things that I think people don't actually think about. The turning off the water while you're brushing your teeth. The uh, I know we switched to having a different type of water heater where instead of having like the the big, huge water heater that stores water and then it moves across the house, we have closer in instant hot water that makes a huge difference because then you're not running water just to get water hot to take a shower or something like that. So are there resources that exist to, to learn more about this? I have so many. I could go on for ages. Um, but in terms of, so in terms of novels or books, uh, I would recommend uh, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, which is the, uh, which uh, started the environmental movement within the United States. Uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, which provides an indigenous perspective on the climate movement. Uh, the Book of Hope by Dr. Jane Goodall. It's really helped me come at the climate crisis with a more of a lens of hope for the future. Um, and also uh, Beloved Beasts by uh, Michelle Newhouse. Uh, that just provides a really good history of the conservation movement, especially here in the United States. Um, and she has a lot of calls to action, which I think are really good. Um, but outside of novels, uh, if you can, I recommend uh, reading peer-reviewed scientific articles. I, I really want to emphasize peer-reviewed when recommending that. Please read peer-reviewed ones. Um, and I know those are a bit harder to get into. There's definitely a learning curve. But I would recommend, if you can, just reading some abstracts and looking at figures, looking at conclusions. You don't have to read a whole lengthy scientific paper. Um, and then in terms of like YouTube video, like YouTube, that kind of like more digital space, um, I recommend anything that cites their sources and checking their sources. Lateral reading will be your friend. Um, one of my favorites is SciShow because I, uh, they say all their sources. And so I really trust them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Muhammad, what about you? What do you go to? Um, so I look at like, I look at art articles around climate change, scholarly articles, and I like to focus specifically on third world, third world countries, um, and just the international sphere, because often in the United States, we're not very observant of the changes because it isn't very prevalent here but in other third world countries hurricanes earthquakes um tsunamis natural disasters such as that are examples of climate change and the detrimental impacts it has and seeing the scientific explanations for that really opened my eyes to the harmful and real reality of climate change and the harmful effects it has and then also just understanding that these countries are in danger and they'll face danger sooner than the United States just because of where they're geographically located and that as humanity, we have to come together to help them. You know, are there podcasts that either of you listen to that you found particularly helpful? Uh, yeah, uh, one that I really like, it's more of a general science podcast, but it's called Science Versus. Um, really good. Uh, they, they believe they have some on climate change. Um, and then also I'm more involved in the botany space. Um, and so I really like Completely Arbitrary, which is a podcast about trees, which talks a lot about climate change as well. And then also, um, oh, I'm blanking. Muhammad, you go and then I'll try to find the one that I'm blanking on. So the first podcast that comes to mind is A Million Things School Didn't Teach You. I know they have a couple podcasts about uh, climate change, specifically the political side of it. Uh, I like those. Um, and then honestly, if you just look up, I, I prefer videos that showcase the visual elements of climate change. 
because I think that spurs a stronger reaction out of me than just hearing it. I think those um, sometimes like hard to see visual images of the dest destruction that occurs because of climate change is more impactful for me. Okay, I found the one that I was blanking on. It's called the In Defense of Plants podcast. It's hosted by a professor who interviews people who are uh, involved in the kind of botany side of climate change and super, super interesting stuff that goes into very niche topics surrounding it. So one of the things that I know that happens with climate change is it is controversial. And there are going to be people who listen to this and go, oh, that's just not real. Climate change isn't a thing. We're getting ready to go into yet another election cycle where you know there are going to be people on both sides of this issue um, who are going to get pretty passionate about it. And I know you both are very passionate about it. How do you maintain a respectful and calm conversation about something that is so um, can spark such passion? What are some tips and tricks you have for remaining calm? I think for me, one of the main things to remember is that these people are not going at this, at least most of the time, with ill intentions. They're not going at it trying to hurt people, right? Whether that's that be they're misinformed, but it could just be their job or their livelihood or their families are reliant on industries that use fossil fuels, that use, that make pollutants. And I think it's very, very important to humanize people that you disagree with and try to understand it from their perspective, not just so you can argue with them better, but to actually genuinely understand their perspective. Um, and I think a lot of the time, it's very easy, you know, to pull out stats, just be like, this, 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 there's this many animals who have died, there's this amount of plastics in the ocean, yada, yada, yada. But I feel like a lot of people come at it from an emotional angle. And if somebody is being very distressed by this, but but by like and not and arguing that climate change does not exist, you have to come at it as, at an emotional angle as well, because they're not going to listen if you just spout statistics. And so I think understanding the other side and their intentions, but also how they are thinking about this is a great way to um, have conversations with these people. And I don't want to call these debates. These I want these to be conversations and trying to understand each other. You know, this is a great question, and I want to highlight our friend, Dr. Robin, Dr. Key, who has two really important rules with any controversial topic, which is try to know what you don't know and don't feed the bear. And in relation to the first one, try to know what you don't know. You don't know why these people have these certain viewpoints on climate change. You don't know their history, their family background, their thoughts, their education. You don't know any of that. There could be a million reasons why they have a specific viewpoint on uh, climate change or any topic in general. So it's important to respect that and not attack them as a person and to separate ideas from people because that's one of the reasons why there is such heated debates on the political floors. People attack each other, not just their ideas. And of course, you want to you want to defend yourself. And then uh, to add on to that, the second point, don't feed the bear. If someone's trying to spur a reaction out of you, um, trying to cause something, an uproar, don't encourage it. Um, just try to calm the solution. I always say the best thing if you feel like something's going to escalate is to remove yourself from that situation and then come back will allow you to have a more logical and meaningful conversation in order to come up with a more uh, agreed upon solution. I love that. Don't feed the bear. And uh, that kind of goes back to some of our other, our other thinking around what we're talking about in climate change. And that's very wise advice to think about it in how we approach it. Because one of the biggest topics right now 
out on TikTok, out there in social media, is the Willow Project. What exactly is the Willow Project and why has it become something that TikTok is all up in arms about? So the Willow Project is basically a drilling program in northern Alaska through the natural, uh, sorry, National Petroleum Preserve. Um, and the reason that people are so up in arms about this is because this is a vital habitat for many species. Um, the one that stands out the most to me is there's like hundreds of thousands of caribou that live up in this region. And like that is their um, that is where they have their babies. And so this is critical habitat for these species. Um, and then also this is the homeland and the sacred homeland of many indigenous peoples up in this region. And uh, this this mining project is trying to take away um, this crucial part of their culture. Um, and so I think that's why people are so up in arms about it. Um, one thing I do want to say with the Willow Project, it is it is incredibly important that we fight against this because it is so important for so many different reasons. But also this isn't where the fight stops. This just be, when there is a decision made on this project, there will be more and more and more mining projects that we need to fight against and so many other aspects of climate change. So just because this is the trendy one right now does not mean that's where you should stop. You know, it's interesting because I was doing a little bit of reading about the Willow Project and there have been millions of letters from Gen Zers that have been delivered to the White House. There's been TikTok petitions and other types of things. And I really appreciate, Sydney, that you're talking about wanting to ensure that we don't stop here. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention were, were the polar bears. And we think about the shrinking habitat of, po of polar bears and some of the other just amazing creatures that this is the only place they live. And so it becomes something that that really uh, speaks to, I think, your generation and speaks to the hearts and minds of people who are actually reading about it and understanding that this just isn't just about that next gallon of gas that I'm going to get at the at the pump. This is about things, natural resources and people who are living there in this in this reality. I know at the time that this podcast is recorded, there's not been an announcement, but I did see that today there have been some signals that the Biden administration may approve portions of this with some guardrails. It's really hard to tell and it's hard to see what's being leaked out there. But the relationship between climate change and politics has become extremely important, especially considering some of the positions that were taken in the campaign before this around climate change. Why is it important for your generation to pay attention to what's happening in politics and climate change? And a short, why does it matter? Okay, I think one of the biggest reasons is that we're the next big demographic of voters that are going to keep coming in the next generations. We saw in the 2020 election, we had the biggest uh, percentage of young voters uh, show up to the polls. So that's going to continue happening. So it's important for our generation to continue forming our own political opinions uh, in relation to every single topic, not just climate change, but especially this one, as it is becoming more prevalent in our society, in our lives, um, and not be influenced by, again, as I said, our parents' uh, political viewpoints, the media outlets' political outpoints, especially if we don't agree with them. We don't want to condone something we don't agree with, and we want to see concrete change occurring. So, 
it is very important that we're all educated about this topic so that politicians can't sweet talk us into their um, into supporting them at rallies, at polls, uh, when it's evident that they're not going to change anything and so that the cycle doesn't keep repeating. Yeah, I think it's so important to get involved in the political space of climate change because it is where the most um, where the most impact happens, right? You know, scientists they can tell us over and over and over again what impacts we are having, but it's the pol it's the politics and it's legislation that passes that really creates change, especially on a corporate level, which are the biggest contributors to CO two pollutants, etc. And I think there's great examples in the past. Um, such as the Endangered Species Act, which are showing how effective that legislation can be to fight certain aspects of climate change. I, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see, especially with things like the Willow Project, is TikTok and that wave of this generation being so vocally opposed gonna have an influence on Congress? Uh, I know I, I read an article the other day about the new congressman from, um, I can't remember where he's from, but he's only 25 years old. Remarkable. And here he was going off to Congress with an agenda. Uh, again, climate change is big on, big on his list of things that he cares about. But here he is going off uh, to Congress and taking his passion with him. And that's pretty amazing that we're starting to see that sea change. And I, I think just because he's the first one doesn't mean he's going to be the last one. And there's going to be a lot more opportunity for engagement in that. So as we're dealing with all of this and dealing with politics and looking at what's coming up, it's going to get more stressful, isn't it? It's going to get a lot more stressful. What are some things that you can do to take care of yourself while you're advocating for climate change? Because this isn't just about advocating that, you know, hey, I'm not going to have, you know, some little building in my neighborhood or whatever I'm going to go on strike against. This actually is about the planet and whether or not the planet exists for your generation and for the generations after you. So how do you not get overwhelmed with something that big? Um, so for me, like I mentioned before, one of the biggest things that helps me with not getting overwhelmed is just realizing how many people are contributing to this cause where not all of it is on your shoulders. Yes, everybody can contribute a lot to this to this topic, but it is not on one sole person or one sole group of people. Um, the other thing that has really helped me is realizing where is your motivation for this? Is it fear? And if it is fear, how can you change that? Because yes, this is absolute. This is an existential threat. It is terrifying. But fear is not a long term fuel. You will get exhausted if fear is the only thing that's driving you in this fight. And so I think it's very, very, very important to look deep at yourself and figure out how to change your motivation. For me, one of the biggest things was just trying to cultivate my love for the environment and my love for nature and have that be my motivation, not fear. And that has been one of the biggest, biggest helping things. Yeah, I think you put it perfectly, Sydney, is the biggest thing to help uh, you is finding a support group, finding a support network that will allow you They'll continue motivating you in your efforts. You can confide with these people, collaborate with them to ensure that you're making progress, um, but also taking care of yourself and expressing concerns when you need to to other people. 
And just relating to your other point, Dr. Robin, uh, I believe that we will continue being more vocal about this point, uh, having more politicians, younger politicians in this field. Oftentimes, uh, people say that our generation is doomed. Um, we're, we're not intelligent enough. Uh, we use, because we have TikTok in these social media platforms, we're going to be the downfall of humanity. But I think we have so many, we're lucky to be in this generation with social media, with TikTok, with yeah. avenues and platforms to advocate for this cause and other important causes around the world. It will allow us to succeed and do what previous generations haven't been able to do. It inspires others, it drives passion, and it will continue to ensure that we will fight against this cause. And Gen Z most likely is going to be the savior of humanity, not the destruction. So, I would agree with you there. I mean, the passion at which the things you care about, the things that really matter, and the thoughtfulness around how you do your research, uh, thinking about the fact that you need to go to peer-reviewed articles, that you need to make sure that what you're listening to matters and is backed up by science. All those types of things say, these are not just the you know musings of young people. These are people who really, really care about the world. And when you really, really care about the world and something this big, one of the hardest things that happens for people is that they lose hope. So what do you two do to keep hope alive? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but <laughs> look at what other people are doing. Look at the change that's happening right now. For me, I think of, um, this is why it was so be beneficial for me personally to read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, is because she painted such a bleak picture of our future from the 1960s with DDT and what was happening to our birds. Mm -hmm. But we solved that problem. And I think also trying to reframe the way we think about climate change, there's so much of this um, where it's humans against nature or the environment, all that kind of stuff. And we can only hurt. That is the dominant narrative in this, in this, um, in this space. But I think it's the way that I maintain hope is knowing that humans can help nature and the environment. We are not solely de um, destroyers. And once I accepted that, I was able to maintain hope. Yeah, again, relating to previous progress, seeing how far we've come and knowing how far we will continue to come. Like I said, it's only a matter of time before our generation holds the majority of political offices, political seats, and then we can really get, we can really collaborate and get our work done. Because we've seen before um, on numerous scales how young people come together on these social media platforms such as TikTok and are able to come together for one cause. So we'll see that very, very soon, I'm sure of it. Well, I tell you that I have hope every day because I look out, even within my own community, um, in the little town that I live in, uh, our city council has a mayor who's 20 years old. And he, you know, sat on the city council and his peers elected him mayor and he's doing a really good job. And he thinks about the things that matter in a different way. He doesn't get caught up in some of these like political dramas and things that have been around for a long time that people get in their position and then they can't get out of it. He's thinking about the things that impact our community. Like how do we plant sustainable trees in our neighborhoods so that when the ice storm comes, they're not the trees that fall down. They're the trees that are made for this environment. And how do we get ourselves out of, you know, palm trees don't belong in Oregon, people. They really don't. We shouldn't be planting them here. Uh, but we need to think about what does grow naturally here. How do we make 
a much more sustainable world. I really appreciate both of you taking the time today to talk with me about climate anxiety and to educate people about uh, the Willow Project and some of the other things that are really, really important. In our last 30 seconds, what would you say to somebody who's like, wow, maybe I'm not sure I should get involved. How would you inspire somebody to get involved? It is your future and it is the future of all life on earth. So I couldn't think of anything more important personally. Yeah, I would say people are already saying that you're going to take on the responsibility. So you might as well own up to it and be proud of it because thousands, hundreds of thousands of teens in your spot are already doing the same. So why not join them? I love it. Wise words, wise words. Thank you all for joining me on Talk To Be Well today and bringing the topic of client anxiety forward. If you are looking for support with your mental health or any other medical questions, please visit us at providence.org. And for parents, teachers, and students, check us out at worktobewell.org. We've got a lot of great things that you can find there on our website. And thank you again for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. This has been Talk To Be Well. Be well, everybody. <laughs>